0: This is Nathan Ellis from the Cascade Lottery, Poe and Ava Baker Fox, and we're listening to Two Beats Soft podcast. Mm-hmm.
1: Sweet 16. All right, everybody. Welcome to episode Sweet 16 of Two Beats Off Podcast. How you doing, fellas? Good. You Good. always do that. You say, introduce the episode. Hit me. <laughs> Set, me. Set me up. Put a lamp in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you say to me, essentially. Justin, like, at least I didn't yell over you. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's very true. Thank you, MC. I appreciate that.
2: It's because I'm drinking a sophisticated drink. It's a... Rum and Coke with a splash of amaretto.
1: Mmm. Well, What's amaretto? With a Slurpee straw. Is amaretto like almonds? I don't
3: know.
2: My girlfriend's oh, yeah. been buying it, but it's uh, it's decent as like a mixer in with the rum and Coke, and it's cherry Coke, so it's
4: you know a whole Ooh. lot of different flavors going in there. Yeah, amaretto kind of tastes a little vanilla-y. Yeah, okay. if, if I'm remembering it correctly. I mean, I wouldn't drink it by itself, but as a yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a great drink to throw up to.
1: Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> there's something in baking that's almonds that has a fancy ass name, marzipan.
2: I can tell you. Wait, can Marzapan. we do a, a whole pan. episode of like fun Man. things to throw up? Because oh yeah, oh boy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I uh, have you guys had Flying Dog's Old Bay beer. No, oh, yeah. yes. I had it once, and I was not a huge fan. I actually quite like it. I actually quite like it. But uh, once I drank those on top of a margarita and yacked off the dock into the Chesapeake Bay, I, like, laid on my stomach on the side of the dock and just herfed so into the dock.
2: So are they, are they <laughs> the ones that make the, like, oyster beer, too? Yes. Because I per- hate Pearl neck
1: Pearl necklace.
2: <laughs> yeah, I did not like that one at all. The old bay beer I thought was good, but I thought it had, like, a weird aftertaste.
1: Well, when they first made it, uh, this is beer talk with two beats off. Um, When they first made it, I think it was just like a blonde ale or a straight ahead ale. And now it's an old bay saison, and I don't like it as much. They changed it.
3: Hmm. Okay. Weird. Yeah. So, Steven, welcome back, guys.
1: Welcome
2: back. Steven, give us your food review on your meal tonight, since you're eating it right here live on the episode. <laughs> I just texted him what kind of burrito it is you have.
5: <laughs> oh, it's um actually a limited time offer at Chipotle. <laughs> Don't uh, give them they a break they offer time. the they offer the carne asada. Oh. Mhm.
4: I like the barbacoa one. Yeah, that's
5: the barbacoa
2: good too. is so good. Yeah. yeah. Brandon, I'm not going to lie. When you first came on and your shot first came up, I thought you were wearing a former name of the Washington football team's hat there. But <laughs> then it came into focus. And I was like, no, that is not a Native American head. No, you know, can team. you see what it is? It's Punxsutawney Phil. That's I awesome. could not make that out. Yeah, there we go. Now I see That's it. Cool, it does not yeah. look like the Washington Redskins. No, no it's, it's at definitely all. not a,
4: it's definitely not a racist beanie. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> but when it first came into focus
1: was he wearing a freaking
3: Redskins.
1: Redskins. <laughs> a, couple, a couple weeks ago I got to see the words Washington football team on television for the first time and it was truly something.
5: That's pretty good. Yeah, I still kinda like it. I think it's a cool name. A bunch of guys at work are really I,
2: into football, and they bet on it every every Sunday, so they they make jokes about the Washington football team all the time. The only time I really got into it was when they beat the Eagles, and I got to text Mitch and be like, ha, 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 you lost to a team without a name. I haven't watched any football
4: this year at all.
1: I want to point out how Steven muted himself to take a bite of that burrito, but not so when the cracker thing came across the screen. <laughs> the
4: cracker
2: thing?
1: You already forgot the box of the crackers. Justin, Justin,
2: watch oh. what you're saying there, because what you're saying right now could get us banned on Facebook. Ah, all right.
1: That's, all right.
2: True, that's true. That's true. I've seen a lot of people actually get a Facebook ban for using the term white trash. Really? Is, yeah. Oh, yeah. White trash will get you a quick seven day ban. So uh, we'll
4: all, all I, man- see, I, I, I'm immune to the Facebook ban because I graduated college from a liberal arts school
2: fair enough i went so,
4: on a whole so that's, tirade. That's, what, that's what we get <laughs> i
2: went on a tirade this is actually music related i went on a tirade trying to get the facebook banned for using the word white trash by just like quoting naming blood for blood songs albums and lyrics and uh. i couldn't get banned for that apparently
4: for my but I'm if just- you call somebody white trash you can get banned. I, think ha- I feel like it has to be like an attack and then someone has to report it. And then,
1: yeah, from what I understand, all it takes is men are trash and then you're banned.
5: I'm yeah. going to report everything I see on Facebook now.
1: Oh, if any of my former high school friends are listening, I am the one who They're uh, not. reports every single photo of a bloody animal during hunting season for I, violence. Do you really? That's, do you that's do me. That? Sure do. Yeah. Uh, If you're you're posing with a dead bear and acting like it's cool that your kid is riding on top of it, fuck yourself forever. (laughs) Okay,
2: can I I have an admission?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You just just lost 10% of the Two Beats Off podcast customers.
3: All right, we're down down to one listener. listener. We're We're down to
1: one
2: listener. We're we're going to desecrate some animal bodies in my store. So, Justin... Steve and yeah. Amy listened to this new Bouncing Souls Volume 2 record.
1: What did you think of it? Uh-uh. Hold on. Let me check what songs are on it. Because it's like a <sighs> – refresh my memory. It is like pre-release songs done in a acoustic-y, re-envisioned kind of vibe. They're
2: all re-envisioned. I would say most of them are an acoustic kind of take on them. But definitely Hopeless Romantic was almost like a new wave read. Do of the song which was the most original take in my opinion of any of them but not in a really good way I,
1: I thought I thought the new Highway Kings was awesome wait they did yeah.
4: like uh, they did a reimagination of their songs yeah, yeah. They
2: it was like probably a, uh... a deal where they had to have another record and they didn't have a bunch of songs written so they just were gonna shit out a record of all their old songs just re-recorded Alkaline That's Trio, every did a similar we've ever thing. Right?
1: Did Alkaline yeah. Trio do a uh, Damnesia? Isn't that what that was? It was like uh, acoustic versions of their hits.
5: Yeah, Bon Jovi I don't did No, but too, I'm just glad it. the Alkaline Trio made it back onto the episode. It's been a few months.
1: Did you put Bon Jovi in the same? Yeah,
2: Bon Jovi did this thing where uh, it's because they're both from New Jersey. Ah, uh, right, Bon Jovi right, did this thing right. where to they took all their hit songs and re-recorded them in a slightly different manner. And all I want to say is. Tommy used to work on the docks, but not like that. Sorry John Bon Jovi, that song sucks in your new version. Stick to the old version. It's not one I want to hear very often, but when I want to hear that song, I want to hear it the way I know it. Also <laughs> <laughs> We're coming out of the gate hot, MC. We both
1: had, we both had some pretty hot ones, are. Right?
2: I'm not done with this bouncing souls record cuz I did not enjoy it. If this was, like, the first time I ever heard the Bouncing Souls, I would never listen to the
1: band again. Well, so that's an interesting thing. Let's take that apart. How many... Do you think that every new Bouncing Souls record is still somebody's first Bouncing Souls record? Or do you think that they've crested that, and now everybody they've, who's going to get into them has?
2: They probably crested that, I would say. But, like, I don't know. I don't even think the, the virgins on there are, like, that and like new or original because i've heard that version of those songs time and time again Sung by like forty-three-year-old fucking involuntary skinheads with scally caps and big beards at shitty open mic nights. Oh, and I was like,
3: that is an
1: unflattering way of describing
3: Bouncing Souls. No, but like every like, person, holy shit, every dude <laughs> that's like five years older
2: than me has, that sings Bouncing Souls songs at open mic night just does those exact versions. If anything, the Bouncing Souls wrote a fucking record of how to do their songs at open mic night and not Jesus. make it trash.
4: What open um, mic nights do you go to where they sing, bouncing yeah. souls.
2: There's a Deepo. few. Yeah, there's 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 older punk rock dudes that have acoustic guitars now, and their wife lets them out once a week to sing their favorite songs <laughs> to. Is the Depot Is fun. the deepest
5: still open? No, no.
4: Yeah.
5: Brandon. What? What's your favorite promise ring lyric? Oh, um...
4: Delaware, are you still there? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the air Delaware,
4: supply. Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really hated it when you texted me and said that tonight was Promise ring because I don't like Promise ring. <laughs> you don't like anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I was I was listening to Kendrick Lamar all day today. So and oh my. When, you, when you guys start having like real music podcasts, <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, hey, shoot, shoot, him a te- shoot him a text get him on I'm trying to get, I'll try to get Kendrick on here
5: yeah. it's okay MC doesn't probably listen to the ring either for, I'd assume so when you yeah, I, I, but, yeah, I was,
4: but I was obsessed with like getting signed to like Jade Tree like well there you go so I feel like that's like everyone that was like in our little scene was like oh shit jade tree's back i think that was like in 2012 or 13 when they like try to do a new yeah.
1: revival i was like we got to get signed to jade tree Stephen, when you texted me earlier about um promise ring memories i only really had two and one isn't a memory it's just hey i saw them one time um and the other is when we used to stay before shows or after practice i used to sleep at your mom's house on the couch And you had some sort of Comcast thing that had a bunch of music videos stored on it. On demand. Yeah, there were music videos on on demand, and I watched like five Promise Ring videos on your on demand before you woke up, because I always woke up like six hours before you did. Yeah. That's my my Promise Ring memory.
5: (laughs) What's your favorite insert quotation from a Promise Ring record?
1: One, like my favorite what are you talking about
5: from the insert?
1: Oh, I don't own any of these. Are you kidding? Like um uh, excerpt.
5: What's your favorite excerpt?
1: The part where they thank their moms in the thank <laughs> you section
5: <laughs> okay um.
1: <laughs> all right. Without further ado, let's go to the interview with Davey Von Boland from the Promise Ring, Cap'n Jazz, and Maritime.
0: I mean, isn't it well known to be the largest waste of money ever?
5: (laughs) I don't know. My mom would probably disagree, considering some of the decisions I made, but
0: probably. (laughs) Uh, well, Hi guys. I mean, drop in the bucket. Next time that she gives you a crap about wasting money, be like, "I it's, like it's Avatar." <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was wondering what movie you guys were talking about. I popped in in the middle of that, and I was like, "Oh no! I hope I don't. I hope I don't love this movie they're shitting on."
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually, I mean, I'm a bit of a dork, so I kind of, I kind of liked it. But um, but I was literally just uh, going through some new quote, air quotes news. I thought Avatar two is going back into production. So.
3: Oh.
1: Now why? <laughs> that's wild. Been, that's been so long since the first one.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's like uh, it's like the new Guns N' Roses follow up. You know, like they'll be talking about it for years. I don't. Know, I can't remember why. It obviously stopped because of the pandemic, but
3: right.
0: but it's one of those I don't know. I don't know why they didn't just, you know, keep that momentum going.
1: Because even though, uh, so those effects were cutting edge when it came, I don't know what year it was at this point, but um, yeah. they were presumably cutting edge at that time. I remember everyone ooing and eyeing over it, but like, there's no way it could possibly look consistent with whatever they could
5: do now.
0: Right, right. Now it just looks like a Fortnite you can't control.
5: Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, in all <laughs> fairness, some people said the same thing about the emo revival, and here we still are. Right. <laughs> I mean, now, now, why?
0: Like, like I said, I'm a huge Avatar fan.
5: Okay. Yeah. See, I've been waiting for they because they they uh, pushed off the Peter Rabbit two sequel, and I've been waiting for that one to to come back around. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, it's hope that keeps us uh, going, right? So if they don't keep things on the on the edge of possibility, then what kind of world would we live in? For sure. For sure. Yeah, no, way into music, like I rarely get to see movies that are like this much on the fringe of, of art you need to see because uh, that's really like... Like you'd see like a Sylvester Stallone movie and be like, can't wait till I'm on tour. I'm gonna see that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: now,
0: now I don't have the same, uh, I don't know, the same kind of time. i not like I'm doing amazing things with my time, but uh, <laughs> you know, you had like a separation where it's like this is the part of my life where I waste time. Right, for sure.
5: I think the only movie we ever went to see on tour was The Conjuring, wasn't it, Justin? I think you're right. Ooh. Yeah.
0: Yeah, classic.
5: Yeah, I'm thinking that's Cleveland.
1: Cleveland. Yeah. Or Columbus, Legion Columbus. of
0: Doom. Yeah.
1: I'm just sleeping. It's,
0: it's hard to see. It's harder than it feels like it should be because that's a big chunk of time to like literally have nothing to do. Right. Um, like on a on a bus tour, that's really like movies are all you do. But um but yeah. I've actually seen a lot of movies on tour now that we're talking about it. <laughs>
5: Fair <laughs> enough. Um, so are you more of a, a movie guy or a music guy now if you
0: transitioned a little bit? Uh, no. I mean, I, I've aged, and so I watch more TV. But <laughs> but no. Um, no, I I mean, my interests in television are so, like, I don't know. I'm basically a caveman when it comes to like what I watch on television. So like, pretty much the worse, the better. So, um, yeah, it's pretty, I mean, I don't know if it's embarrassing. I can, I just, I a real, I have a real specific niche of like, uh, what I really like, um, when it comes to film and television. So, um, and it doesn't at all cross uh, with what, what my wife enjoys watching, so. Oh,
1: that's, oh, that's unfortunate.
0: unfortunate. Yeah. And we do watch, there are some things, but, like, my, like, I I really love, like, post-apocalyptic sci-fi. But, nice. but it's like, you know, when you get that specific, like, you know, de-evolution of society, it usually like it's almost like a future past. If you if you get me, right? <laughs> where where it's like the the future uh, is sort of broken down to a point where uh, things are almost almost historical. Right. So that's like my niche where I just love it. <laughs> it's a it's a period piece, if you will. Uh, <laughs> So that's what I, that's the kind of stuff I really like. So is it embarrassing? Hard to say.
5: I would say, I've heard way more embarrassing things than that for people, mm-hmm. for what right. people watch. So. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. Not like I'm watching the bachelor.
5: Right. right. Is that what your wife watches?
0: No, no, um, <laughs> no, but especially, if, you know, and especially in light of recent events, uh, she prefers a little bit more levity, um, where I'm still grinding on, you know, the post-apocalypse during the real apocalypse. And, you know, <laughs> apparently I could, there is no end to the amount of darkness that I can take. So <laughs> my kids are teenagers, so we watch a lot of, like, we just, like, just uh, flew through Jack Ryan. It's on Amazon Prime right oh, now. Oh, yeah. I- a lot of, like, and it's, like... And even you know, the kids are like That Venezuelan dictator Sure seems a lot like Trump And you're like yeah I mean you know <laughs> So it's like yeah i find more correlation Where it's like Yeah when you see those like Real off the wall like um, car- Almost caricature uh, dictators It's like mm, it's Sort of the yeah. society You know society we're living in So um, Yeah it's it's a, it's a weird world man
5: yeah so are you still in milwaukee now
0: yes okay did you grow up there then uh yeah i just grew up i grew up like in the suburbs outside but yeah i've been here
5: so you're obviously still living there now you lived there when you grew up um what do you notice the difference now between raising your like teenage boys in milwaukee and growing up in the milwaukee area
0: um you know what's what I don't, you know, it's such a, and this is so true of many things, like, as you get older, like, every everything, se- everything seems completely different, but, like, the more you, like, it, the more you, I don't know, just open up to your own biases and just realize that you're probably wrong, um, everything's kind of exactly the same, especially, like, with everything kind of shut down my uh my kids have been hanging out with their friends on the on the east side of town which is sort of a lot of you know what we used to do when i was you know 17 18 go, go skating on the east side so yeah. um i think things are pretty much exactly the same i mean as different as different as the details might be like um it's, it's pretty much exactly the same I think it's weird because I live I live in you know I, I grew up like west I grew up in the west suburbs and now I live like in the on the near north side like technically outside of the city of Milwaukee but I walk to the city you know so I'm like really close so it's a different perspective I guess but um, just because it's different you know I guess a different uh, a different shape of the same thing. So, um,
1: yeah. Cause it's easy to say like, I don't know people your age or my age, it's easy to say like, Oh, when we were kids, we just had free reign and ran around X, Y, Z city. And now maybe that's not necessarily the case because the world's changed. And I don't know what, like how the landscape of Milwaukee changed in a way that you can like see through the lens of your children now.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, it's totally different because being a parent, you know, like we're probably, we probably don't give our kids as free a reign as I was given. So it's different, but that's probably just because I'm a different parent than my parents were, you know, Um, I'm not sure if the world, you know, that's probably a bigger difference than the world being different. but we live. I mean, where we live is is pretty pretty safe place to uh, um, let your kids have free range. So yeah, um, that helps, I think. But you know, I'm around a lot of other kids. Like um, most of my time is spent coaching basketball, so I know a lot of the kids around the area, or I know a good number of kids that aren't necessarily just my 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 kids' friends. So you see a lot of differences just like, you know, um, you know, kids have a lot, even though they're like basically neighbors, kids have a lot of different experiences, I guess is the way to put that. So uh, I was going to say, you
5: mentioned that you're a basketball coach. Now, you're a pretty big sports guy in general, right? Yeah. So yeah. one thing that I admired and was very impressed by was you guys played the church in Philly after riot fest got canceled and somehow made fun of the Philadelphia Phillies in front of a crowd in Philadelphia and didn't really get much of a reaction. So good work. I was very impressed by that.
0: Well, I, you know, I think, I think when I was younger, that was sort of a shtick we had. Like that was a promise, promise ring shtick to like go in and like just berate the uh, (laughs) the crowd's local sports team, and saying that out loud seems really stupid now.
1: Especially, (laughs) especially in Philadelphia.
0: Well, it just seems so immature and dumb. But I think that was that was sort of part of it. It was like I enjoyed it just at face value, but it was kind of unexpected because we were sort of not your, like, you know, Joe hardcore guys who probably did like sports. Um, so it was just a weird thing to do. So I think we kind of, I don't know if anyone in my band ever actually cared about cared about whether it happened or not, but I enjoyed it because <laughs> it was, like, and it's just a weird thing to come in and be, like, totally abrasive and uh, combative <laughs> with the crowd and uh, without being, like, Legitimately a, a jerk, so uh, yeah, we did a lot of that. So I don't know if that would have been when Riot Fest Philly canceled. When is, is this? A, this is a reunion thing, yeah. Yeah, was,
5: yeah. Like, it got canceled at last minute. Um, you guys, I, I mean, got, yeah.
0: Who played? Who else played
5: that uh, show? Uh, hey, you, just you had, two guys.
1: You had one opener, I think. oh uh, was there. Yeah. I don't remember why Riot Fest got canceled, and I think like a week or so later were the proper, well, not that Riot Fest wasn't a proper reunion date, but like the rest <laughs> of the tour, because my wife saw you on
0: two of the dates. Okay. Yeah, it's the—it's funny, like a lot of, you know, the ancient history when this was all really going on is kind of a blur, or that's right, the opposite is true um like the the real experience of being in a band is like really still vivid to me and i remember a lot of the really specific details but all of the reunion stuff is like mashed potatoes like i literally right. <laughs> don't remember what bands i've what bands and when in the chronological order of <laughs> there's just like a, a a haze of things i've said yes to and uh <laughs> Like this. <laughs> well, this is really, really vivid because it's happening right now. But who knows? Um, but yeah, it's, it is funny the uh, the different uh, the different uh, experiences. It's it's just so like it's a bit of an out of body experience to do a reunion. So it's it kind of has that quality of being there not being there, anyways.
5: Right, right, for sure. So um, we'll, we'll start back pretty far. I mean, we already talked about growing up in Milwaukee a little bit. Do you remember the first um, tape or record or whatever you either bought for yourself or were gifted as like a Christmas or birthday present that you considered your own?
0: Mm. Um, I don't think specifically there's a, a right answer to that question. Um but uh, I come from a specific genre of music, people, where I had punk rock Big Brother. So, um, you know, I kind of started as like <clears throat> against it, and then right. uh, sort of got convinced otherwise uh, later on. So, and it was kind of funny because my brother was pretty. He I. And for all of his lack of accomplishments in this world, he is, like, so much smarter than I am. <laughs> um, and, and, but so he he used, like, a real gateway method of, like, if you, you know, if he could get me into REM and U2, then it was just a few, you know, how much further before? Late period, seven seconds, you know? Right. You know. Um, so he kind of, he kind of gateway drug me into it.
5: Does he ever give you shit for like being like, no, I don't, I'm not into punk music, and then you ended up being in um, punk and punk adjacent bands for a decent portion of your life?
0: I uh, will, no, um, no, because well, his because his like his normal range expanded. Um, he's always been in bands too, so it's not like I'm, you know. How different it's just that i think there was a point and uh, i'm sure he knows exactly where it was because he didn't like it at all where he um he he, like he i had like whatever minimal blip of again air quotes fame um and he became like oh you're davy's brother and he's older than i am so he didn't take kindly to that at all (laughs) (laughs) um but he has always played in like extreme grindcore and like super out there bands. So it doesn't, it didn't really, I don't, I don't know if I ever changed in his eyes. Right. Right. I was always in, you know, but you know, not in that way. Like I, I think, uh, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, as brothers do, um, we both like, you know, support each other that way. But, uh, but it, he was always way out of my world no matter what and i was probably way way up the middle no matter how crazy i got so, so um
5: good so there was never going to be like a uh, kinsella type von bolin band
0: well that's not true um because we did play in a band together for a while nice uh, <laughs> yeah which's funny um and i played drums which I I only remember this because about two weeks ago, my brother had messaged me and said that the other member of the band was reaching out to him to see if there was demos or see if he had the demos. <laughs> so <laughs> I had forgotten completely about it because I, I was mentioning it to my wife and I was like, I play drums. And she's like, you don't play drums. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so... Um, And I never did play drums, but I played drums in this band. So, (laughs) and I'd completely forgotten about it, um, except for, I mean, the only, well, yeah, it completely had left my memory, um, but I do claim to be the worst drummer that will actually play in front of people. So (laughs) that's about how good I am at it. Um, But yeah, so amusing, but um, but we did we did we also like maybe at the peak peak slash kind of end of the promise ring where where we just weren't uh, I think we'd lost we'd lost that like we weren't part of the grind anymore where you're like we're making records and we're touring and we're building the brand and we're doing this Right. where we were gonna we were gonna do a split seven inch. Um, with his band and our band, which would have been total nonsense, but um, <laughs> yeah, there was some jokes about how it would be called, you know, good versus evil or whatever, but um, but yeah, so almost, I guess, is the right answer to that.
5: Right, yeah. <laughs> so, what, so what other bands were you in before you ended up uh, in Cotton Jazz? Mm,
0: um, well, I mean, you know, bands that recorded music, I guess uh, in in high school I was in a band called Leaving, which was, you know, four of us from high school. And Leaving, leaving recorded music, which ne- I guarantee never saw the light of day because nobody brings that up to me.
3: <laughs> uh,
0: but the... Uh, <laughs> the singer of that band was um, his name was Lone Wolf, one word, <laughs> and uh, and he was like six foot seven, so that was just fantastic, um, <laughs> just in, in every way. He and I didn't get along very good, but um, but uh, but just like watching that band, which so. So there was that band anyways, um, but it must have been amusing because we were all tiny. I mean, I, I would probably be the next tallest guy in the band, and I'm like 5'10", so it must have looked like, a, you know, just a little bit deranged, and he was a maniac, so uh, a little bit scary, um, but then he we kept that band together without him and a different singer, and then that band was called Ten Boy Summer. You know, we had a, we put out like a 10 song demo, but there was a song um, in on a, on a Food Not Bombs compilation in from Philly. Keeping Philly is the center focus here. Right. Um, uh, and that comes up all the time. I think it's on YouTube, actually. The 10, the ten Boy Summer demo, I think somebody posted on YouTube. Oh, so nice. uh, that, unlike my um, hankering for Uh, a certain kind of science fiction uh, is embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, super, super, super bad, but kind of fun. And everyone hated that band. That band was ridiculous, really ridiculous. And our, our, like, you know, every band, that was kind of like, you know, if if we're in, I don't know what wave of emo we're going to be called, but we uh, we were in that, like, that window of, we were doing in that window of emo. You may not even recognize this window, but where it was kind of like chaos emo, I guess, where like (laughs) bands would like break up on stage or like one guy would be fixing an amp throughout the entire set. (laughs) And most of it was like Southern California. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the band that I absolutely idolized. Um, do you remember the band Heroin?
1: Yeah, I know that name. Were,
0: yeah, Heroin. Like the drummer of Heroin was the singer of this band, and I absolutely idolized them. I thought they were the greatest thing ever. And they, they their their sets must have been like seventeen minutes long when they played. It was like super dumb. But our our thing was that if anything interrupted the set that was the end. So if I, you broke a string in the first two minutes of the set, it was over. Like that was our show tonight. Sorry. So we were super pretentious. It was pretty really
5: great. Actually, um, yeah. Um, for
1: a uh, research sake, um, I'm on the heroin Wikipedia. It says vocalist, Matt Anderson also worked with a minor forest, Mo Hinder, and angel hair. And members went on to play in groups such as Antioch Arrow. <laughs> there you go. That's you mean, man.
0: Yeah. yeah, they were great.
1: They're a really cool band.
0: Yeah, I would say, and I would put heroin, heroin. Uh, I don't know in well, probably eighteen forty seven or something. Whenever I saw them in a basement, that was like one of the greatest <laughs> shows I've seen. They were awesome. So that's that sort of is a synopsis of Ten Boy Summer. And we, oh god, I the greatest thing about not like not like being at all worried or concerned about what anyone thinks of you anymore. And I, you know, I guess being punk rock, that's supposed to be the thing that you don't care at all, but everyone does. So, but in this post life that I'm living, like I, I just totally happy to tell the truth all the time. (laughs) So 10 boy summers thing our one of our pretentious things is we had this like you know, screamo outro deal that we did at the end of our set. That, that was, you know, super chaotic and moving. And the singer would build a painting at the end of our, uh, um, at the at, during this instrumental part. Oh my and God. So that, yeah, super great. And it would, it, you know, theoretically it would end and then, you know, we would leave and what would be left was this piece of artwork. Um but he was a little bit uh, hot-tempered, and more often than not, he ended up breaking it into a million pieces. And, uh, <laughs> and one time he, one time he like, broke, off, broke the frame and like threw it down, and it stuck in some girl's leg.
1: Oh, no. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, that,
0: that brought that to an end. But, um, <laughs> but we, had a, we had a long and very serious argument afterwards about whether that should bring it to an end or whether that made it really cool. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, super funny. But, it, you know, but at the time, super serious. So, um, we were changing things, you know, obviously. Right. Absolutely.
5: Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah.
5: So, how so, did you uh, end up joining uh, Captain Jazz? Because they were kind of, no, I mean, they're. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought me back.
0: <laughs> oh, no. An it's all intertwined here. So, okay. naturally. Everybody hated Tim Boy Summer. I mean, which looking back, I completely get. Um, Either, you know, people showed up and we played for two minutes and broke something. Um, We got in an argument about something. Uh, We threw, you know, we had a temper tantrum on stage. Whatever it was, I mean, all things were unbecoming. Uh, But Tim Kinsella was literally the only person that enjoyed this. So that's how I met him. Is the like <laughs> couple of times we played Chicago? I think when we officially met, I uh, we played we played the we played the basement of the um, the A zone, the autonomous zone, which is like your you know your your uh, typical anti-government shared, shared co-op space, and uh, we. Uh, it was just a dusty place. And of course, uh, when we played, the singer went, um, flopped around like a fish and kicked up all the dust in the room. You couldn't even see in front of your face. Oh, I all I remember was that there was one guy and he was like really enjoying it. And it was like, you know, nobody want. I'm sure no one else was in the room because it was absolutely horrible. And uh, I remember t- going up to him and being like, dude, what, what's wrong with you? That <laughs> so you enjoy this. You know, (laughs) because, like, you you sort of take this approach where you're, like, you're not supposed to get this or like this. You know, like, it's supposed to be, like, a little bit, like, I don't know, unlikable, in a way. So it's, like, and he had, like, a, you know, a King Goes Copy, like, mini poetry zine, which, of course, I also authored one at the time, so Tim and I uh, became fast friends. And the the whole whole Captain Jazz thing was just I mean, I have more, I probably have more stories from the year and a half that I played in Cabin Jazz than I have from the entire rest of my life. Um, <laughs> just because of the amount of absolute, I mean, just the fact that I was brought in because I think he was going to, he was in, in the city of Chicago at that point. We were really young. We were all like, I think we, Tim and I were two of the older people in the band. We were 17. So we, um, you know, talking to him, he was like, Oh, my band just broke up because Victor had disappeared, ran away from home, whatever it was. So Captain Jazz had just broken up. He's like, So we should, you should replace Victor and we should start this new band. And so that's how that all became. But how I ended up in Captain Jazz is because we were having our new band practice and Victor, after like four months of, Disappeared. And keep in mind, you're like, it's hard to disappear when you're like 16, 17. So that's a really long time to be just gone.
1: Oh, and, for sure.
0: Like, he just showed up at their parents' house and was like, Oh, we got band breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> and so like Tim literally like looked at him, long pause, looked at me, and was like, Do you want to be in Captain Jazz? <laughs> and I was like, uh, I mean I guess. <laughs> so uh,
1: That's a really cool story about joining a pretty influential band in this tiny niche of the world.
0: the The best part is like, that's how I remember it going. But reading something that Victor said later on is that it was like four or five practices before he had any understanding that I was in the band. Oh, wow. Like he just thought that I was there like jamming and that they were like to being too considerate to tell me to shut up while they were playing. What?
1: What? So great. What, what re- so great. <laughs> I'm having a hard time picturing that reality with any people that I know, where I would just like allow them to play over band practice without being in the band. <laughs> like that's such a wild assumption.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much. That's, that's pretty much Captain Jazz. <laughs> uh, I mean the earlier stages were crazier but um i mean there was never uh never a normal moment like not one single normal moment ever (laughs) in any of that um i could literally give anecdote after anecdote of like and the the fact that people like like captain jazz now like think of it as like a real band and i I, and in some ways i totally feel you know being that i was kind of on the outside the whole time i i in some ways i totally feel the same but like in other ways i'm like my god how could anyone take that band seriously so (laughs) (laughs) the one that like outside of some of like the really normal crazy things that happened like I mean, probably at least a handful of times Sam showed up at the show within five minutes of our set, sprinting through the door like he'd been chased.
5: <laughs>
1: wow.
0: That was like a regular occurrence, like not made, didn't show up for sound check, didn't pack up the van, like didn't show up just as like showed up at the set, like as if somebody had just chased him there, like absolutely grand. That That's a normal thing. Uh, but we played, like, when we started to, you know, when people started to, like, know the band and come see the band, kind of near the end, we played, we opened up for the Smoking Popes when they had just released a record at the Metro, and it was a big, sold-out show, and it was by far the biggest show that any of us had ever been a part of. And we started playing. We played probably five or six songs. <laughs> and... Uh, um, and I remember being like, God, Sam is nervous. He's like standing. And this is before that was kind of a thing where you had your back to the crowd. Yeah. Uh, he also, the reference about uh, early chaos emo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, he was like, it wouldn't move, didn't move a muscle, never turned around. And I had something about In between songs, when Tim was saying something, I went over to him and looked like, before I even was like a- about to ask him if he was okay, I noticed he was using, like, didn't have a cable, so he clearly had found like one of the three-inch cables that you put between pedals. Oh, my God, no, <laughs> Jesus, that's Christ. <laughs> that's what he, that's what he had connected from his amp to his bass. <laughs> so he was, so he was, he was. <laughs> yeah. So he was tethered like within three inches to his amplifier.
1: Oh man. So he wasn't being like mysterious nope. guy. He just fucked nope. up.
0: <laughs> he just and like never bothered. Like, I mean, I knew that I was bringing like tech. I mean, they were they were are will always be one hundred and fifty times better musician uh, than I ever could dream of being all of them. They could all play every instrument better than I could play any one. Um, but when I joined the band it was really clear like I had my own amp. <laughs> you know, I had like equipment, like I had cables and picks and stuff and that was not something that was not something that was normal in their band. So um I mean Mike who's not Mike is, you know, probably has the most you know, quote unquote fame now or whatever. Uh, I mean, never, ne- Whatever the uh, on top of symbols, the little screw that keeps symbols on symbol stands. He would just use potatoes.
3: What?
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. I mean, partially because like that was kind of the era. Like nobody had any money, but partially because then it would be like a little bit funny and cool. Um, but uh, but that's pretty much that was Captain Jazz. That's the Captain Jazz I remember. Anyway,
1: so, everyone uh, will remember that at least. It's like oh, that's the band with the potato drummer. Like you don't forget but it, that.
0: <laughs> but, 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 but I mean, we spent more time falling off than than anything else. But, <laughs> for sure. But that is pretty much uh, Captain Jazz. Uh, the majority of Captain Jazz is like that. Probably like the last. You know, it's chaos. You could, I could go on, and, and we could spend a lot of time just anecdotally remembering, like, the hilarity of Captain Jazz. And I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure they could do, they could do it to me too. The ridiculous stuff, but, but it was, uh, it was different. It was, to me, it was like because Milwaukee's like pretty normal. Like some of that Chicago suburb stuff. Like those people are nuts. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> To me, it was like I was in like a, you know, in a John Hughes movie being played backwards or something. It was, it was, uh, you know, you can get all the, you can get all the, uh, all the, uh, you can hear Satan talking. This is pretty much what it was. So, um, but I mean, absolutely time of my life. I wouldn't, wouldn't trade any of the, any of those 18 months for, for any of it, but um, always, on, always on the edge of complete derailment. So that's how I got into Captain Jazz, to, to answer your question.
5: <laughs> were you still living in Milwaukee at the time when you were playing in Cabin Jazz then? Yeah, I
0: never, I never moved down. Okay. Um, I almost moved down a few times, but, um, but we, we never became like a proper band that practiced at a place. And Mike was in high school the whole time Cabin Jazz was there, so, they, uh, we practiced at their parents' house in the north suburbs so it was like i mean the north suburbs for traffic are equidistant from downtown chicago to downtown milwaukee so to drive there twice a week with hour and a half i mean i was 17 like all the time in the world in my hands so an hour and a half drive just didn't seem like that much
5: i'd imagine after some point that probably would wear on you a little bit i guess 18 months isn't too long now
0: right yeah i mean it's kind of you know, I had the band stayed together, um, probably would have made a different choice. But, but at the same time, I mean, I was in Cap Jazz for 18 months, but for probably four of those months, at the end, Promise Ring was already a band too. So then I was kind of like split, split between anyways. So that, you know, that would have made moving to Chicago kind of silly as well. So. Promise Ring overlap with that a bit and um,
5: a lot of those guys came from like the straight edge hardcore scene. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you go through that at all or did you just know them through a mutual uh, connection through punk underground music in general?
0: Um, well the hard thing to like rem- like the hard thing to like consider about especially being like a punk rocker in Wisconsin is that like it's a super small scene. So you pretty much go to every show, whether it's like your specific
3: you niche
0: know, yeah. or not. So um, so you knew like the, you knew like the GBH, like Mohawk punk guys, and you knew the straight edge kids and you knew like everything in between. So um, Jason lived in Madison We I knew Jason through I was friends with Jason really throughout all my you know, most of my teenage years. And we always thought it'd be cool to start a band. And his band had broken up and he was starting a band with two hardcore kids from Milwaukee, ironically that I did not know. And they were another guy was gonna join their band, but he, you know, was moving somewhere with his girlfriend and you know, totally disloyal like people are. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, somehow i got asked to be in that in, in the band um but i only want to do it if i could just sing i didn't want to play guitar because if i played guitar then i'd have to move my equipment back and forth between chicago and that was gonna be a big problem and i don't remember how i, I lost that argument basically <laughs> <laughs> just have, i think it just came down to like just being a singer is lame you know uh like that's for like you know, Bon Jovi and stuff. You know, so <laughs> uh, so, um, and I wasn't a good singer, really ever, and probably that was probably one of the worst points of my singing. So, um, so you know, I didn't really have a whole lot of leg like, to stand on there. So <clears throat> somehow I just ended up. I think I I ended up with uh, enough overlapping equipment that I could leave the heavy stuff. I could leave the heavy stuff in Chicago and have stuff here too. For, right. So it did overlap for about four months. And it's super, it's super funny too because Promise Ring started a really similar way where I went to I, I, had, I had enrolled in college and the two guys who lived in Milwaukee were also in college and we would see each other and like, at college and kind of avoid each other a little bit because it was awkward. We didn't really know each other. And then, uh, and Jason got real frustrated by that. And I remember him being like, we're doing one tour this summer. And, like, that is it. Like, and then we can be done. We're going to record this seven-inch. And then we're going to go on tour. And that's all I'm hoping to get out of this. And I was like, okay, I can I can do, I can live. I can do this crossover two band thing for that long. No problem. And then, um, the promise ring tour we did was really, really fun. And we kind of bonded in a way we hadn't before. And, uh, the Captain jazz tour started like the day after that tour ended. Captain jazz broke up like six days into that tour. So, um, I kind of came back and I was like, Jason, I I can keep doing this if you want to. And uh, that was (laughs) That was sort of how Promise Ring became like a, and then we had like super super great. um, I'm giving you like the way too much history here, but then we had, yeah, we had, we had this great Promise Ring talk where we sat around a table, and we were like, you know, we had this, and it. I think it's more it's it's a funny story, how like silly and over serious we were about our lives at that point but it, it kind of true in the end, like looking back, but we were like, look, we've all been in bands with weak links, the guy that flakes, you know, the guy that moves with his girlfriend somewhere. Um, like we sit down five years, you know, five years, be awesome. It's a can't miss formula. So <laughs> that was pretty much how the promise ring became like our thing is we're like, no one's going to screw this up. We're going to be awesome. <laughs> we're going to play one million shows and we're going to be great at every single show and it's going to work. Like That was... That was <laughs> and what's but, funny is like, that's, I mean, I don't... I, our, our greatness could be disputed, um, even just talking to myself. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, we kind of were I think what people liked about us especially in the beginning was that we were a good live band because our records weren't good so um (laughs) there has to be some truth to that so (laughs) but um so in in a way that's sort of what it was I mean we kind of sacrificed everything we were on the tour 10 months of the year um and I don't you know I don't think that same method would work now that there's a million bands and a million people and the World is super small with uh, social media, etc. But at the time, like that was pretty much foolproof how to build a following. So it's funny, but it worked. So.
5: So you guys obviously it, did a ton of touring. Who did? How did you like teach yourselves to book that many shows, like in an um, era without social media? You know what
0: I mean? Um. Well, I think. You know, we had the Radio Shack dialer to, uh, <laughs> to uh, you know, I don't know if this is, like, beyond. It became common knowledge where it's, like, duh, of course, the Radio Shack dialer. And I don't know if that's become, like, it's too old to become knowledge anymore, but that's the one. There used to be, like, a, a Radio Shack. Am, is this common knowledge or am I, or is this worth explaining?
5: I I have explaining. Yeah, I don't know know what you're talking about, but Justin's older than me, so he might.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, there was a Radio Shack product. I, I, to this day, I can, I do not know what it did for real. I think it like, it was like a programmable thing that you could save numbers, much like your phone does with contacts now, but you could like save all your numbers electronically with this like handheld device. I think. But uh, somebody in the uh, Anarchist Cookbook. Um, realized you could like solder a different a different chip in it, and it would mimic the sounds of coins going into payphones. Oh. So that's how we, that's how we funded booking tours. Um, you just walk down to the payphone, and uh, every three minutes, when it, you know when you were calling all your promoters, every three minutes when it asked for coins, you just put the put the dialer thing up to the speaker piece. In the phone and it would uh trick the phone into thinking you were putting tons of money in Holy so, shit, I didn't uh, that. Wow. yeah they quickly caught on to it and uh changed the way that uh the speakers worked again i'm not a scientist i don't know the technology but nah. uh they did they did fix it pretty quick but for about 10 for about five or 10 years um the uh the punk rock world uh had a had a lot of free phone calls (laughs) so um so we did that I mean it was kind of same thing same small punk rock network uh you know so-and-so used a guy in Portland and if you could you know you call the guy who set up a show for your buddy in Portland he would be like oh yeah I don't do it but you should call so-and-so and I mean, it, it, people just kind of helped each other out, and it was mostly basement shows. So it was, you know, pretty much talking to like-minded people who were probably also in bands and doing the same things you were. So, it it wasn't, and you know, there's definitely some promoters like people who booked Promise Ring shows who were like crust punks. I mean, that was kind of it. Was just a lot more crossover. Like if you couldn't sure. find the if you couldn't find the club. And and probably dating myself and I'm sure people older than me experience this way more, but like you would literally drive around and wait to find and as soon as you found someone who was skateboarding, you'd be like, dude, jump in the van, you gotta show us where the you know Club X is and they'd be like, Of course, man, you know. Yeah. So it was like super easy to identify uh, your people.
1: Yeah. That's so, why it's why Ask a Punk is on a lot of flyers.
0: <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Totally. Because it was really that simple. I mean, we definitely, when directions weren't good or we screwed them up, you'd just literally find somebody who was skateboarding and be like, hey, take us to the punk, sh- you know, where where do the punk shows happen? And they would just show you. <laughs> so pretty, uh, pretty funny. So looking but, back on that era
5: of promise ring shows where you were doing more so basement shows as opposed to club shows, were there any specific, like, cities that you were like oh we got to play there playing that house is always like the best show
0: um uh john hiltz had a house in new jersey that um was kind of like the epicenter of east coast punk i guess like you had to play john hiltz's house that was a big one um and uh, the Driver Dome in Georgia, in Atlanta was a big one. The Driver Dome was the house rented by the guys in the band Car versus Driver, which uh, which was a band not unlike ourselves uh, that uh, you know just didn't stick around long enough. Didn't you know? Didn't play by the five-year commitment rule clearly.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: So there was, I mean, there was a band. I mean, we used to like. I think I've told it. I've told this story a lot in recent interviews. But like, I just did a podcast for a Jimmy World. That's Jimmy World song that I sang on. Where they do a podcast, an episode of a podcast for every song, which blows my mind. But they do it,
1: and it's a thing. Yeah, every every Jimmy World song. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, right. So I I um I got interviewed for my part in Jimmy World and like the story, you know, they were like, oh, well, how did you meet Jimmy World? And we were like, well, they're both sides. The guys in Sideshow said we should know them. And, the, you know, or the guys in Sideshow said we that we should know the guys from Christy Front Drive. And then the Christy Front Drive guys said we should know the guys in Jimmy World. So, like, in weird teenage blind date, like... You know, I think Carrie uh, McDonald from Christy Front Drive called Jim Atkins and was like, Hey, Promise Ring's gonna be in Phoenix in three days. You should go to their show and meet these guys. You guys would totally hit it off. So uh, I think that's you know, that's how we kind of built that network of like bands we played with and toured with and stuff. So I mean it was all everything was like a little weird word of mouth, you know? Right. And you guys kind of
5: so that's obviously pretty much all the bands from that area. That's how you, I assume, met the Texas is the reason, dudes, and ended up doing the split and joining Jade Free, right? Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, well, Jason, Jason had a little bit more of that like post grade edge hardcore uh, connection um, than the rest of us did. So we we played. we talked somehow. Texas's reason's first tour was with. Um, oh God, what was the name of that band? I can't. I can't remember. Um, it was a. It was like a. Uh, maybe a, It was maybe a state college Pennsylvania hardcore band. Um, not remember uh the the, name, there's a girl girl lead singer ethel, Ke-
5: ethel missouri
0: no this is before that
5: <laughs> <laughs> they somehow come up on every like six podcasts now from random band saying you know ethel
3: missouri <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: funny no um i do i mean i remember that but uh that's funny that somebody else would I can't think of how I would even get, I'm trying to do an internet search. I, there's no way I could even get there. Um, but they were, those two bands were out and I think we wanted to, you know, more, more so wanted to open up from, for the band from, uh, from Pennsylvania. I wish I could think of the name of their band, but, um, te- uh, Texas play, we played, then those two bands played in Madison and, um, Norm Brannan from Texas is the Reason. Uh, Jason, we had just recorded a few songs, so Jason gave Norm a a tape of our, like, three songs, and Norm was living with uh, Tim Owen from Jade Tree at the time, and so Norm gave Tim the cassette and was Mm -hmm. like, um, you know, and so Tim called us and was like, you should put out a 7-inch on J-Tree. And we were like, yes, we should. <laughs> That's pretty much <laughs> it. That's pretty much how that started.
5: So you guys um, obviously did a lot of touring right then, and then you recorded, uh, again, the first record with Casey Rice. I read uh, online I was trying to like do some research for these questions that you guys were totally stoked on the outcome of the record. Um, do you want to talk about that for a little
0: bit? Yeah, it's a fun topic. The uh, it was um, well, Captain Jazz had recorded. You know, the we had just kind of near between Christmas and New Year's of whatever year that was, ninety three, four, whatever it was. um, Captain Jazz had recorded our album with Casey, and Casey Rice was. I mean, I think I I've, I've read that I've or somebody somebody either told me or I read that Casey is like really regretful about how how he recorded that record, which is funny too. But um, so Captain Jazz had just uh, we had just finished recording for like ten days with with Casey, and uh, it was I mean. For all, of the, for all of the crazy that I talk about in Captain Jazz, like those six days of recording that record with Casey was like probably the best six days that Captain Jazz ever experienced. Like we were together, the ideas were good, the sounds were good, everything was like pretty much what we wanted it to be. Um, so I think we were coming in the spring where we like, Promising was like, yeah, I mean, Casey was with Tortoise you know, all the really cool artsy Chicago bands that were coming out at the time, the Sea and Cake and all that. So um, that recording studio was like it, you know, at that time. So um, Casey was just not into it. Like he didn't want to do it. I think he was in between going to Australia with Tortoise. And he was just kind of exhausted and didn't want to be there. And I, I, some some other stuff might've been going on with him. But he, like, had no energy for it, and we weren't, we weren't, like, at that, especially at that time in the band, we just weren't really magical. We weren't good enough to, like, (laughs) I mean, we weren't good enough to be, like, just do whatever, and it was great. So, he kind of, I mean, I remember, I remember at times, even Casey being, like, we'd be like, oh, that take seemed like it was okay, and be like, it's funk rock, it's fine.
1: So, oh, no, oh, no, the magic words.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, so we, so, and we, you know, had so much reverence for him that we were like, yeah, I mean, he must be right. I mean, this is what he does. He makes, he makes everything great. So, um, so we didn't really trust ourselves. Um, he wasn't really into it. And so it just, I, we drove away listening to the final mixes, driving from Chicago back home. And we were like, this is not what we wanted. <laughs> like, even on the ride home, we weren't excited. So it's a total bummer. Um, so I don't know why we put it out. <laughs> you know, I think, I mean, it was probably a, a big, a big chunk of money for a band our size to pay for it. So I guess you kind of don't want to ditch that. I think right. in hindsight, in hindsight, that's, you know, it's such a, it's such a big decision made in such a small window there but um which i think would probably be like probably be the total list of regrets it just doesn't there's nothing great about that record so i mean the songs just aren't done justice um so but i mean literally on the drive home we talked about like well we're gonna have to be even better live right yeah well
5: we we kind of went through something like that in the band we played with too. I think a lot of bands in their early days kind of struggle with finding the person that like Get meets it. and matches what they're going for.
0: Yeah. And it just like, it just, I mean, every decision seems like it's so huge in the right now that you couldn't possibly afford to like stop and think, you know? So, right. Absolutely. So, no different than anyone else in that way. Um, but yeah, definitely we're not, um, never, we were, n- even during the recording process, we were never pleased with how that was going. But, you know, it's part of, it's, it's part of the experience, I guess. So, like, so now it seems fine.
5: When that, after that record came out, you, I mean, listening back, like, for me, and I, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but I don't think, like, Captain Jazz and Promise Ring sound very similar. Did you have to fight off any comparisons just from being in that band and like the notoriety that comes with being a member of Captain Jazz?
0: Um. Well, Captain Jazz didn't. It wasn't like. Like now. Right. Yep. No, not at all. Um, (laughs) I mean the you know the reunion. I didn't do the last Captain Jazz reunion that they that they just did but um the one that i was part of it was definitely that weird experience of like well this isn't how it was (laughs) (laughs) people super excited and it was really that was a really strange experience because you know we'd only been in that i mean they'd been in the band longer than me but you know as kids and uh and i hadn't really been um in the band very long so like just being back on stage together was weird for me anyways but then to be like it's not even the same because it's a totally different experience as far as like that perception like people caring was the whole news everything about it was like whoa yeah i uh, so,
1: i was gonna i was gonna ask because you said that that uh those 18 months were like barely held together and it's just kind of like a wild ride the whole time and then presumably after you'd all been through like other bands you probably weren't living a 17 eight year 18 year old lifestyle that would make that a chaotic mess again not mess in a bad way just like observational way so it was a weirder in that respect too like being like a a held together thing
0: well it was still I mean it was <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was still a mess <laughs> I mean, in, a, in part, yeah.
0: Um, I remember, uh, you know, again, I only did the first of two Captain Jazz reunions. So I don't know, what is it like? Probably somewhere between five and 10 years ago now that we did that first one. And I remember, <laughs> I remember um, Sam. Um, Sam had either it was either an old friend or somebody he'd met that night. But the, as they were lea- as they were leaving, the girl was like, "You're never gonna see him again." Totally, <laughs> totally joking. And as soon as they walked out, we were like, "She has no idea how normal that's." Up. Like, <laughs> of course, every every time he leaves the room, I think there's a good chance I might not see him again. <laughs> like, so. Um, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> so, right. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, well, a lot of change. I mean, there's a lot of, um, recreational or not, um, as recreational drug use when we were teenagers that, um, put those guys in to put, a, you know, a few of our guys in really different spaces. So, um, you know, and then, you know, then, going back out on stage after a lot you know a number of years it's, it's gonna be weird no matter what so um, right um but yes but captain jazz I mean when we were when we did that like seven before the band broke up on tour we had we the album had just come out and so people were buying ship buying records at our shows we are like oh my god we sold like 22 25 records tonight and we were like <laughs> we're we're gonna run out in three days <laughs> you know we had no <laughs> So it, we were just starting to experience anyone liking our band, and so Captain Jazz probably opened up a like it was it gave us like some of the ex members of on flyers for Promise Ring at the start. But
1: yeah. that's
0: probably probably the only thing that was like a big crossover. And again, you know, and in Chicago it probably had held a little bit more weight, but that's about it. Um, that's, that's probably being being on Jade Tree gave us a little bit more um, um right. than
5: any, you know than the other so um you guys did 30 degrees everywhere and then you recorded with one of probably justin and i both of our favorite uh producers and engineers like as far as punk music goes and you record with jay robbins what was that experience like and um around the same time if i'm correct Scott, you parted ways with Scott. Did that have any effect on the recording process there as well?
0: Uh, no, not really. I mean, um, we were down in Memphis. We were down in Memphis, like, a few days after Jeff Buckley drowned in the Mississippi, and he was recording at the same studio as, as we were. Whoa. So, yeah, it's pretty weird. Um, weird times. But uh, Jay was great. Um he totally, and it's funny. Like it's funny. Like the records that Jay has recorded of ours, and his some of like, you know, now that the big space of time that's passed, like he, I think he he, we, he was probably more connected to that first record that he did, um, and we that was probably at that point that was kind of the most together. Um, It was probably the most, like, I guess maybe not together is the wrong word. It was the most, like, intense and, like, emotionally uh, sharp that The Promise Ring probably ever got to. So recording that record was kind of, as much as the first record was sort of a dull edge, it was kind of like, um, especially with Scott, like, you know, really on the edge of... uh, just not being part of the band and he was a really strong personality so there's a lot of tension and i think you know jay was super mature and great and kind of helped us use it i guess instead of let it kind of sever us so um yeah he he deserved a lot of credit for that nothing feels good record um a lot of great ideas and just a lot of like just good vibes which I think Jay is kind of known for. So yeah, no, Jay, Jay is awesome. Um, just has a ton of enthusiasm and kind of what we needed to. So yeah, his positivity and like enthusiasm for the project probably, you know, kept it from falling apart at that point and uh, kind of got the best of us um, out of it. So I remember being a little bit surprised while recording some of those songs. it's like, this is better than it was when we brought it here kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So that was a, that was a really good time.
5: Um, Yeah. We, we had spent, well, uh, a band just I played in recorded a record with him in 2017. And for a group of people who probably not the best for a podcast can be fairly scatterbrained and uh, hop from one idea to the next, Jay somehow had this way of keeping everything on track and, bringing it all together and putting together an entire full length. Like it's just without flaw in, I don't know. It was one of the best experience I've ever had recording with anyone for sure. Yeah, no,
0: Agreed. I, I will, I will admit, uh, that, um, I often like, I don't listen to, I, I wouldn't consider myself like an avid music listener. I don't listen to a ton of music just it's not as, not a big space in my life, I guess. Right. Um, for the, you know, for the time allotted, whatever. But, uh, I often, when I like, am trying to think of like, Oh, what would really make me happy right now? I often Google search that, um, there were NPR was doing these song sessions where they got two musicians together to write a song on the spot based on like a photograph and Whoa. uh jay, yeah oh if you've never seen this it's no oh you have to um it's jay and the guy who left um uh, what's what's the band they're super famous um, <laughs> uh and the right the best part is the right in our uh in our um uh chris Walla. oh okay Jay and Chris Wallow write a song uh, called Project Song um, for NPR, and they videotape them writing the song from scratch based on a photograph, and it, like, not only, like, the song is awesome. The end result ends up being awesome. Two days, of course, totally, but, like, and you probably can share this, but, like, it's like the different pieces of them putting the song together are like 100% Jay Robbins. Like
3: there's this moment
0: where they like, Chris comes up with this like 12, this like little tiny 12 string guitar riff. And Jay goes, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: like,
0: like stop everything. I like stop everything. Whatever we were doing. Like, that's really good. Jay Robbins moment. It was not only, not only a great song, but it like, like brings brings you every moment that you would want from watching like a three minute, you know, th- or I guess it's like a ten or fifteen minute video. But um, you know, but if you wanted highlights of Jay Robbins, it's it's exactly that too. So, um, oh my God, it's pretty much one of my favorite videos. Like I I will I don't know how many hits it has on YouTube, but I'm I'm worth a, a solid percentage of them. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
5: I saw Justin's eyes light up as soon as you said
1: it. I wasn't, I hadn't heard of that project. So I thought you were going to be like, Oh, Jay Robbins did like this tiny desk concert and that would have been just cool by himself. Um, but that's, that sounds amazing.
0: It's awesome. And the song is awesome. It's really good. Really, really good. Um, he and Chris Walla together is really, really good. Um, The harmonies are really good. It's uh, I don't bring up my love for this often, but it's really good. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely have to watch that uh, video today. And uh, I can't even imagine a person not enjoying it. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, Jay had, like, the last anecdote, I promise. But he had this perfect way of, like, somehow enabling every stupid idea while still having, like, a ceiling for it like we were like yeah. hey hey we want to play trash cans and all this stuff and make this giant noise collage and i pulled out that thing of like bowl hooves do you know what i'm talking about it's like a shaker that has it's made of like hooves yeah. and uh, and i was like hey can we use this and he's like that's one step too far it's going to take up all the sonic real estate and i was just like whoa <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah no i uh, uh i mean that's it's like touch. I mean, Jay has a ton of touch for sure. Like, you know, like there's a, there's a, a, middle ground where you have to be experimental without like, you know, being you know, and I'm sure a lot of people he works with have like super tight time constraints. So that's the perfect Jay Robbins kind of uh, thing that like, yeah, he has exactly the right amount of uh, energy, <laughs> you know, for, for sure. uh, things. He obviously, ought- he, uh, he convinced me and probably one of the guiding principles of recording vocals is, uh, and it's another one too far moment is, uh, the harmony. Um, you know, there's the, there's the melody, the harmony and the harmony, <laughs> and the, you know, you, you definitely record the melody and the harmony, but you got to leave out the harmony cause that's the spot that somebody sings in the car along with the record, which is, you know, he was, so he would always refer to it that way.
1: That's really you know, cool.
0: <laughs> instead of being like, instead of being like, it's, you know, you're being self-indulgent and it's too far, you know, it's way, <laughs> you know, convincing me, like, you got to leave space for the person to sing along to you. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so the, the harmony was uh, something that he taught me about, which I've used a ton where like, you're trying to like layer these big, you know harmonies and it sounds great yeah, of course it sounds great when you're recording it you're like oh this is awesome but you're like always being, like, ah that's the like harmony man we gotta leave that one alone where
3: it gets like too
0: sweet where it's like too sugary sweet of a, of a harmony yeah, yeah he's, it's uh that's another that's a jay robbins uh phrase it's pretty funny that's awesome so,
1: um so you said that uh nothing feels good was you're like most emotionally pointed i'm curious uh like what place you were at in like your lyric writing at that point, because there are like a whole bunch of references to like American States and Chevy and Dick Clark. And like, they're strong American references. Like, do you think that came from growing up in the Midwest or do you even notice that? Is that something that you thought of, or did I just pull something completely out of my ass? Um, no.
0: There's um, another bit of that truth, but the, uh, um, I was in college at the time and taking poetry class so I was like writing a ton and so I think like the combination of being in the band like it was a super focused sentiment the whole record um and it was written in a shorter period of time and we were like at, like I think trying to paint the picture like that was when the band was like pretty much Head, you know we weren't dragging anybody with us like everybody was kind of on the same page and thinking the same direction um, so the energy was really strong um, so it's like it's a it's definitely like has it's, it's coherent and uh, and that was part of it I think but being in poetry class and like learning learning messaging and all that I think uh, somewhere along the lines, Uh, there's two good stories, uh, two good things to say about the poetry class. One of them being that I think, um, I think what I I was learning was like, and especially being in like a quote unquote emo band, like metaphor is important because it has to be universal. Even if it's something super personal, you have to make it universal. So like on that record and probably pretty much throughout my lyric writing career, um, like Everything is God and the devil, um, and then geography, because what's more shared and universal, really? Um, so there's a lot of that just because I'm trying to use metaphors that are, like, really relatable. So, um, part of that's just being a student, (laughs) I guess, and, like, being (laughs) kind of more self-aware. Um, and I had a really good professor, um, I definitely wrote the lyrics, Why Did Ever We Meet is on that record, I think. I'm almost certain of it. And I wrote that, I wrote, that and started- Confirm. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, that, so that song was a poem in poetry class. And it was, I I remember very strongly getting that back with uh, the, the professor's comment, why did ever the syntax you scramble so, <laughs> so I. Anytime someone brings up why did you ever, why did ever you meet, uh, why did ever we meet? I think of uh, why did ever the syntax you scramble, which is super funny because I use those lyrics in that Jimmy World song, which is over the test of time, probably the my most, I guess I don't know, ubiquitous 14 seconds of music that <laughs> I'm a part of. So those <laughs> lyrics come come up. Um, more, you know, than anything else. Are you still? Are you rolling in the
5: dough from royalties from that? No,
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> not not even a little. Uh, I, you know, there are no short stories today, apparently. But um, <laughs> short, story, the attempted short story on that is uh, they were unsigned at the time, and I, of course we were friends, Jim FedEx Jim had called me and said, Hey, can you sing on this middle eight we we're struggling? And of course I'm excited to do it. And then I awkwardly realized that he was saying my name in the song. So I had to call him and be like, are you
3: singing my name?
0: So the lyrics I wrote were to sing him something that he knows. Um, and, uh, they signed and the middle became a really big deal that summer. And, uh, Somebody called me a lawyer. Somebody from the label called me and was like, "Look here here's the deal. <laughs> um, it's not long enough. It's not long enough that we have to pay you what X, y, and z performance royalty. You and the band are friends. Um, let's do this. And it was something like, um, I, so I got a, I just got paid a, a bulk payment which, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to bleed them dry either. Um, I don't pretend that those 14 seconds are what made Jimmy world, Jimmy world. So um, that was fine. Like, I think when, when he called me, I was like, I called him back and was like, I've got an idea. It's going to take me an hour to record. That will cost me 50 bucks. Can I get 65 so I can FedEx it back to you? It was like, (laughs) so, you know, that was kind of my response. It was like I mean, I, I was in for sixty-five, so fifteen hundred and a platinum record or whatever I ended up getting was <laughs> more than I you know that's more than the, my friends and I had bargained for. So I wasn't uh, yeah, not a bad deal. I, no, yeah, for sure. I would have done. it. I mean, they didn't need to pay me anything. I was happy to do it, and you know, I'm I'm glad that uh, Jim's note. Jim had scribbled a note with the CD that said just scat on this or something. So uh, <laughs> hopefully what I did was better than scatting and everybody's better off for it. So, uh, I, and it cost them, a t- I cost them a ton of money because the guy who wrote Clems- Crimson and Clover's family is like really protective of their royalties. So it cost them an arm and a leg to have to pay, have to apologize for that later. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I, I you don't know what you're doing until later on. So
1: yeah. I, uh, I, uh... I love the Easter eggs of like him singing your name in the song and knowing you guys were friends when you look back on it, and you sticking your own lyrics in that thing. I love those crossover Easter eggs between bands. It's a really cool thing to discover. No,
0: it well, it's funny because I I maybe it was only like two months ago that I had this interview for that they were do they were the pod the Jimmy World podcast was talking about that song, so that's that was my kind my uh, talking was that contribution. And uh, I, I realized it then, and it's totally true. Like, I think I would have been a lot happier had my entire career been just singing 15 seconds at a time on Friends Records. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had, I mean, I did it maybe four times, and I got more enjoyment out of those four times than, uh, you know, probably the sum total of recording my own songs. So, um, yeah, I love it. I love the crossover. I love like the if it can be like the hidden little suggestive thing um, that kind of leads you to understand like the net, you know, the networking of people and stuff. Like I love, I love all that stuff too. So, so yeah, I absolutely uh, would. I would jump at the chance anytime, anytime, anytime to sing on, to, to sing on something <laughs> just to like because you know you're, you it's not like you're stuck in it. Like you get a recording, you react mm. to it. You record it, and it's over. You know, there's not, like, a big commitment to it either. So it's a ton of fun.
5: Fair enough. We'll, we'll keep moving on. Um, sorry, we yeah, always sorry. go on tangents and get everyone <laughs> distracted. <laughs> yeah. So we, we were recording Nothing Feels Good. And you guys parted ways with Scott and Tim Burton joined. How did you avoid... The goth influence. (laughs) (laughs) You you guys know
0: Tim?
1: (laughs) Tim He's he's making a (laughs) joke about the director, yeah. (laughs)
0: Right. Well, it's funny. It it is funny that you bring it up. There's no yes or no questions at all. Um, (laughs) Yes, I do understand the reference. uh, um, You're the metaphor guy. (laughs) <laughs> no, I know, I know. I, I'm slipping. Yeah, um, Scott, yeah, so we parted ways with Scott, and Tim, uh, and it's funny, because Scott Shanebeck, who then joined the band later, was like the obvious choice. But because his brother was our road manager and was basically part of the group at that point, and we were really good friends with Scott Shanebeck, like, socially, we just thought it would be, if it didn't work, it would be a big mess. So we went with Tim Burton, um, which didn't work, and it was a big mess. Um, <laughs> but uh, Tim, it's funny, because Tim was, Tim was in uh, the, hardcore, the hardcore band with Jason prior to The Promise Ring. And um, he joined, and he, like, way... I mean, I don't want to prescribe fault to it because we were young people, and um, but it felt like he was way overstepping his ownership in it. Like he would add backing vocals live and stuff that didn't weren't there. The Carmones, if you will.
3: Yeah, that's awkward.
0: Um, yeah, just kind of do just that kind of thing. But he was very much like us. But then, uh, right, the uh, the first tour he did with us. You know, we each I don't know, at that point we were taking, you know, we would split up the cash on the drive on the final drive home and be like, here's everyone's fifteen hundred dollars or whatever. Um, nice eight weeks of work, fellas, you know, which at that time sent us, you know, felt like we should like throw in the bathtub and you know <laughs> and get naked <laughs> and get wild. But uh but I remember, like, so we all spent the money and, you know, everyone did great. See you guys at practice in a few weeks. We'll take a few weeks off and then we'll get back at it. And Tim, Tim, uh, you know, and we're like slobs, especially at that point. We were like thrift store slobs, you know, and uh, and Tim showed up at that practice like two weeks later with like black pea coat, black turtleneck, like black slacks, new like like high you know boots black boots uh had like totally changed his hair and everything we were like we never should have given him that money <laughs> you know like he'd obviously spend it on a whole new wardrobe and so uh, <laughs> that when you said uh gosh, tim burton that's what i was thinking
1: <laughs> that's awesome
0: so it took me a second to get past my own blinders to get to the uh, 19- oh, no. but um
1: that's amazing <laughs> um so I want to spend a ton of time on it because I know it's not probably great for you to reminisce, but we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the, uh, the van accident.
5: Yeah. Did no, you go legitimately ahead. go head first through
0: the windshield? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, it was the fact that any of us, li- the fact that any of us lived through it is really great. The fact that all of us lived through it is like a near miracle, if not a actual miracle, um, I was out cold for most of it, so I can't really speak to the miracles. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, it was a really terrible thing. Um, you know, obviously there's been a ton of time between that and now, so not like a big emotional, you know, certainly can talk about it. Um, it's funny because I'm driving or I'm teaching my oldest son how to drive, so it comes up a lot just to, like, you know, remind him, like, like it looks son, so don't you know flip it. Whatever you do, don't <laughs> flip it. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, totally. Just like what's well, just like the lesson. Like it's you can't stop it once you lose control of it. So yeah. just be sure. So uh, yeah, we talk about it a lot just because I don't know how much you know I've talked to him about that and like seeing my friends as they were and I mean I, there's like a black hole in that story a black hole in that story for me um, that I have no memory of. And uh, it's definitely from the minute that I hit the windshield until I was like running back up the hill towards the vehicle. And I have no memory of that, but, um, but yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I share with him all the time. Like this is what it looked like and how that felt, you know, like I didn't realize, you know, like I didn't realize how bad I was hurt until hours later, you know, like, so, well, even years later, because I, you know, ended up with a brain tumor from it. So, um, you know, I, you just, I supposed to use it as a parent and it's not trying to, not trying to be grave about it, but as a parent, you definitely want your stupid mistakes to at least be like worth the shared experience of your kids, you know, so that they can at least like appreciate a portion of it. I mean, you don't want to pretend that they can learn from your mistakes, but, um, you know, hopefully there's something there from it. So, but yeah, you no. Know, the vehicle is totally destroyed. They ripped, ripped all the doors, ripped the roof off of it, all the wheels. I mean, it was basically a tin can by the end of it. So yeah, the fact that um, everyone was ejected. Um, so the fact that uh, it turned out okay, at least in part, is like beyond shocking.
1: Well, obviously happy that you did. Sorry, yeah, no, Steven, yeah. Steven's kids chose that moment to run behind him. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, no, no. That's that's uh, it's the circle of life. Um, For sure. But yeah, no. So it's uh, you know, it's it's definitely uh, it's interest. It's like in the, you know, trajectory of the band. It's just interesting. It definitely changed everything just because like we had been in that, you know, that five year like grind. Like we are doing this 100%, like, and we're not going to let anything stupid break it apart. And, uh, it just, I mean, Jason was, Jason was really hurt. So he was out of commission for, uh, you know, I two months or something, which in, in the timeline of that band two months is two years. Like, um, to sit at home for two months, like changed everything. Super crazy. Right. Um, to think back at two months, like two, I closed my eyes and two months passes now, but, um, yeah. but you know, it's just at that point, it was like, that changed, like made us rethink everything about ourselves at that point. So, um, but the, the cold, like, you know, the cold ass truth of it is like about two weeks after the accident, we kicked Tim Burton out. <laughs> so uh, he broke his arm in the accident and we, literally kicked him out two weeks into, into his recovery. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, it was neither shocking nor, uh, you know, what he was not surprised. Uh, It wasn't working. The vibe was all wrong Um, and we kind of had to move forward from it. So it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't as cold, but it sure does sound that way now. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. And that's when we, and so we started rehearsing, uh with scott shanebeck and dan and myself with just one guitar and uh you know at that point we were like well all bets are off we better have scott Shanebeck to the band um and he brought kind of brought the fun back to us so um that sort of lengthened the 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 life of the band probably another two years
5: so you guys then got to work on very emergency obviously during this time but there were some like major label rumors around this time. What kind of labels reached out to you, or is that totally off base?
0: Um, not totally off base, but nothing like nothing concrete. I mean, I'm glad it never happened because um, I think the one lesson that I would have learned, that the one thing that now I realize, and I think Jawbox learned the lesson for all of us. It's like it only works if you're all in. Right. Um, there's no way we would have been all in. We would have been super pretentious about it and like trying to control our art and super stupid, and you know, so it would have been a massive failure, um, as it was. And then obviously the record we made after Very <laughs> Emergency would would have been a, you know, twice the disaster that it felt like at the time. So it would have been a colossal failure, but we met a lot of people. There was a lot of, you know, you know, slick people at our shows, but like pretty much the usual suspects that were trying to sign all the bands back then, the Jawbreakers and the, you know, Texas is the Reasons and all them. And, um, but it never really went too far. I, you know, I think we were always, you know, you don't have to watch too many VH1, uh, rockumentaries to uh recognize that like that's not our band (laughs) you know what i mean right right we just we didn't have shimmery shirts nor did we have enough old grainy video of ourselves and uh, (laughs) it just it wasn't that wasn't the story so yeah it was i think it was there was some reality to it and i think we were like somewhat open to it but um no, not nearly close enough to a reality that it was uh, uh, really worth, I guess, bringing up. It was just always... I think that was more... It was more something that, like, bands of our level, like the get-up kids and that kind of thing talked about being sure. talked about, than actually... You talked more about the talking about it than there was actually... <laughs> I don't think we were really all that close. There was... A, there was a, I think there was... A, I think, I mean, the J Tree guys had been doing that label since they were teenagers, too, and they're a few years older than we are. So, you know, they were kind of getting to a point where they were, you know, and they had signed Jets to Brazil. So they were committing. They had, they were pretty excited about that. So we we weren't like the darlings anymore. Right. So I think that there was probably, it was more that we just felt like we needed to be the darlings somewhere than, (laughs) um, Than that we needed to have a change or that we should be signing to a major, which is why in the end, I think we signed it to anti because,
5: uh, which is a really cool label.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a really cool label. And it, I mean, we never, I mean, we weren't like that period of the band is such a shell of the band that like they had no, they're, I mean they were basically connected to nothing so like there certainly wasn't any negativity to like the label was super awesome we just weren't really there anymore <laughs> so um, so yeah that didn't really go that great but um, but it wasn't that long either between releasing that record and uh, you know and, and breaking up so a um, brief brief moment in time,
1: was the, uh, like, um, the malaise, I guess is the word I'll use, had that set in when you were writing and making Woodwater or? Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I, th- well, I think it was more of the fact that like that period of time off and then like the massive sea change in what we were trying to accomplish musically, um, really just put us in different spots in our lives, you know, um, and so we just were just we were just doing different things with our time. And so it just you know we had kind of gotten, you know, it was like the end of that period where we were gonna like commit everything to each other. So we kind of stopped committing everything to each other um, and the band. and you know we were in our mid20s and later 20s, I guess by that time, and really just, you know, like your actual personal life, has more value you know and I think that that was just hard to navigate in the framework that the band had existed for so long Um, and then the fact that we like kind of overhauled the music just sort of made everything kind of weird Um, so yeah I mean so it kind of like all those divergent things were started by the fact that we had a little time off
1: that's my wife's favorite Promise Ring record I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that
0: so, it's, I mean, a lot of people say that, and I, I don't, I mean, I think it was maybe a little shocking because there was, and I, and I know, you know, we probably said this at the time, but there was like kind of an evolution of the band that because we were like out of that tight cycle of record, tour, record, tour, that um, there was a gentler, a gentler uh, evolution that would have taken place had we stayed in that tight circle right. so, uh, and I think I think it's actually going to see the light of day we've talked about it for like 20 years but it sounds like uh, Epitaph's actually going to release the music we recorded between the two records um, which I'll believe when I see it because <laughs> it's so silly uh, how long it's taken and how like totally I don't even know if there's any relevance to it um at this point but um but so i think it was just something i mean maybe it was a little jarring it was definitely jarring for us we didn't really know how to because we weren't such a tight-knit group anymore i don't think performing was a little bit of a struggle and you know the vibe just and it wasn't even like it wasn't the crowd or it wasn't really us looking back but it was like I don't think we really knew how to be a, in a band that wasn't like taking the energy to 10 and seeing how long we could keep it there on stage. Like it was a whole different energy. I don't think we knew how to deal with it. People did not react to us, even if they were reacting correctly, we wouldn't have known it or felt it. So, it, you know, there was a, there was a point there's a point before we recorded that record where Jason suggested we change the name of the band to make it less jarring. And uh, that got shot down, but it probably would have been helpful looking back um but uh you know who i mean maybe no one would have listened either um so it's interesting though it would have been um it would have been really we made like a lot of bad decisions at that point i mean the songs we left off of woodwater that were the best songs on woodwater it's like we were almost trying to dismantle it a little bit but all the same, I, I think what would have been really interesting is a record after that one. Just because I think we were actually kind of getting a little crafty and kind of learning to be musicians. So it would have been a, an interesting record. But I don't I don't love I don't love it as much as some people love it, and I don't hate it as much as other people hate it. I just think it's uh, it's an interesting record for sure. I I liked making it for I really liked making the demos of that record just a little, a lot more time spent and just a little bit more depth to it. So I think, you know, and I think that it's more of a response and, you know, this is kind of going back to Jay Robbins this is something that, you know, he later, I, I saw that he said something about the two records that recording Nothing Feels Good, there was like a total lack of resolve in the, in the songs that they kind of like emotionally left you hanging a bit. And that he thought that we resolved everything on the next record, Very Emergency, which is, you know, being away from it now, like, that's totally true. And uh, <laughs> so I think that, like, that style that we had written Very Emergency, there was really nothing, like, left. We, like, kind of, we re- everything had so much resolve that we really didn't have much more to do with it so kind of going in a completely opposite direction makes sense in hindsight it's
1: it's interesting what you can see when you take a step away from something and you have the that chasm of time to look back on it and be like oh that it, was kind of like all tied up
0: <laughs> yeah yeah no doubt and it's interesting i mean that's kind of what makes nothing feel good a good record and it's probably what very emergency suffers from even though i liked very emergency too i think there was some uh, clarity to that as well i think it just Totally different vibes,
5: too, you know. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way to put it. Um, yeah. So I, I totally wanted to get into and <laughs> go through maritime and everything and like a bunch of other stuff, but <laughs> um, we're at like an hour forty-five minutes now. Um, yeah. yeah. I, maybe potentially we could do like a part two at some point if you're down, if uh, if you're yeah, not man. pulling like scratching your head right now and like, will they get off the phone and shut the fuck up?
3: But, uh,
0: <laughs> no, well, I mean, it, I mean, it's funny in that total grass is greener kind of way. Like when people used to stop me all the time and tell me how great um, promise ring was, I had no appreciation for it. Now that it doesn't happen, like I do it all day. <laughs>
3: <You> know,
0: like, <laughs> so, um, and not that, uh, not that I feel like I'm pandering, but it just, it's not a topic I talk about a lot. So it, to me, it's kind of interesting as well, like to kind of go back. I don't think about it ever. Right. Except for when, when Scott Shane back drunk texts me when he's on the road with dashboard confessional <laughs> or whatever, um, but I don't like, you know, it doesn't come up very much. So to me, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, compartment to go back into. So, um, you know, it, you know, hopefully it's not in, you know, and I, I try to be, uh, pretty honest about stuff so it's not like it's this self-important like self-indulgent like this these are the best of times and you know so important because um, I don't necessarily think that's true but uh you know I, I don't know how interesting I mean I get why I'm interested in it I guess so I don't know <laughs> can't speak for the rest of everyone so that's where it comes from for me so I could, I could literally do it all day to be honest and now that you know with the with the pandemic um, I work at home so I've got all the, you know I can uh, I have a little bit more control over all that so um, we can totally do a part two it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's up to you it's totally uh, I'm happy to talk about this stuff whenever I guess long story short is, uh,
1: is Maritime still active at all I don't know if I know exactly the end story of that
0: There is no end story to that. That's kind of the greatest part. I've always said that. I've said that a million times when discussing any band breakup that I've ever been a part of where I'm like, why do you have to have a band breakup? Like what is the point of a band breakup? Oh, that's, that's magic to Justin's ears.
5: (laughs) Our, our, our band
1: hasn't played a show in like two years, but anytime Steven says, Oh, the band we were in, I'm like, you're still in it. Knock it off.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, it's funny. We've, uh, Maritime has been an LLC for forever so that we could, you know, take losses for tax purposes. Um, but every year I file the paperwork and, uh, every year I text Dan Ditter and I'm like, can I mark this final? (laughs) And every year he's like, no, keep it going. And this year I was like, dude, come on, let's mark it final. Um, (laughs) So the the LLC broke up, but uh, <laughs> the band is still active. I mean, everyone's doing other things, um, but we just yeah same thing. We haven't played together in a long long time. Um, Supposed to get together with Justin Klug, the bass player, this week, so um, we'll see. Um, I, yeah, I, I just think you know as you get especially like now that we're a little bit older in our lives or whatever, like you can take time off it's not like our fans are expecting anything of us so um it's a little more casual so i don't know it'd be it certainly would be interesting to make another i mean that's kind of what i talked about with the if we would have just like gone our separate ways and then like maybe got back together and made another record it would have been really interesting just because like to walk away and come back to something like you're a whole new person so um i'm interested in that i I have my doubts that it would happen, but um, it's possible.
5: Well, that last record was great, and then I was looking today at it, and I realized that it was five years ago now, and I can't even believe that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you Uh, know, I mean, maybe because it's the last record I made, but it's like the least set, it's the least, uh, I just, I'm less confident in the songs on that record than I, of any record I've been a part of, to be.
5: Oh, then, man, I, that Satellite that Love song me. is
0: great. Satellite Love is a nice surprise. That came, like, <laughs> Maritime, it, Maritime is all about sneak preview for part two. Uh, yeah. Maritime is all about, like, having a totally unfinished, not good enough record about to record it anyways, and then um, bringing a new song to the studio, recording it in its freshest point, and it being great. And on that record, Satellite Love was the record, was the song that got um, recorded, like, days before we finished recording. <laughs> nice. So, um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, another Maritime song, Tearing Up the Oxygen, yeah. was, definitely, was definitely written in the recording session for that record. So, and that that's I think, um, is probably the strongest song in that record, too. So it's like, yeah, so Mar- Maritime's like, you know, crap the, the cramming for the test kind of student. <laughs> just a <laughs> second, just bring it, bring in the energy. So, um, but you know, it's funny because yeah, other than Satellite Love, I just there's a lot of songs that I feel like should have been. We we didn't write a volume of songs, so maybe I feel like there should have been songs left on the floor that we didn't leave on the floor because there just weren't that many yeah. songs. Right. So that's probably that's probably why I feel that way about it, and because it's last, so you don't have any like. There's no bookend to it. Maybe it's hard to say, but I do feel like that won't be the last record I make. Awesome. Another, yeah, another sneak preview for, uh, for part two. Um, now we gotta do part two. I've, I've hinted too much.
5: Um, hopefully my kids aren't screaming in the background. No, they weren't, well, they weren't too bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think we could totally, obviously, probably talk for another like two hours if we wanted, <laughs> if we yeah, wanted no, to. For sure. um, for sure. Is there anything you wanna shout out or any like fans or sci-fi TV shows you're watching or anything before we wrap up the episode? Uh,
0: no, the, um, the thing that I'm most excited about right now is that um, the real gangly dude from Iceland who's, um, who is Iceland's uh, song submission for uh, Eurovision. You know this song? um think about things it's called no oh my god after you're done google searching (laughs) uh, like it's got a bunch of crazy icelandic characters in it i think i think they're icelandic characters but the daddy frayer or whatever it is think about things is the song there's a bunch of viral dance videos about it that song that's what's now i'll tell you that much um (laughs) Jay Robbins' NPR song is what was now and this is what is now. Uh, it was, it was a nice shout out for you. So, yeah, check both of those things out.
1: Oh yeah. Well, thanks, um, Dave. We really appreciate this. It's been yeah, awesome.
0: Um, let me know, man.
1: Yeah, we had a blast. We'll schedule a second one and we'll uh, dig into Maritime real hard.
0: <laughs> real hard. Real hard. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, if, if this is, is going to turn out to be a trilogy, it's always the second one that's the darkest. I have to warn you oh shit no. it's
5: like, okay.
0: it's the Empire Strikes Back of podcast episode so it's, so
5: you it's your Empire Strikes Back
0: right you're warned just so you know
5: <laughs> fair enough thank you so much for taking the time to do this and um, yeah I'll shoot you I can shoot you a message or a text whenever the episode comes up if you want to send it out or whatever awesome sounds fun
3: Awesome. Thanks, Davey. <laughs> All right. We'll
0: do you. Soon. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> <I> Davey.
3: <didn't watch. laughs> All right.
0: Later. Later.
1: You got to wash That was a fun interview, fellas. <laughs> My favorite part was when uh, Davey Von Bullen said, and then people listened to Cap and Jazz like they were a real band. Remember when he said that, Steve? <laughs> I was waiting for Steve to I was waiting for Steve to react <laughs> to, to it. <laughs> He literally texted me that audio file like two days ago. That was the funniest thing I've yeah, seen in a while.
4: <laughs> you were so, you were so I... happy with what you said. You said, "Remember what you said." that. <laughs> you dumb fucking idiot.
2: Well, I got that clip because I wasn't on in the interview. I didn't know what it was really relating to, but I laughed. <laughs>
1: I'm so sorry. Fuck oh, all you guys. You guys suck.
5: Oh,
1: I keep handing you layups here. <laughs> I kind of want
4: to get Chipotle. <laughs> part of why we,
1: part of why we wanted that Brandon on is we wanted to have you talk about the future, and present of the Chameleon Club.
4: Oh yeah. That's Are you cool. able to
1: fill us in on it? <laughs> 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 if you're whatever you're allowed to tell us.
4: I mean, yeah, I'm, I can tell you whatever I I feel inclined <laughs> to say. I mean, it's we have a we have a new location, um, but it's not gonna get announced until we can start paying a lease on it. You know what I mean? Oh, you, like it's oh, you
1: did I locked one in though. You found.
4: Yeah, one. like everything is is good to go, but there's no sense in saying, "Hey, we're moving here because we have no business to do it." Like, tell us
5: what it rhymes with.
4: What does rhyme? What the
1: street name? The name of the building, or is it, it matters, building
5: with yeah. LRA? What and the street name? The, the real street question
1: name. is: Is it still in Lancaster? It's in Lancaster
4: County.
2: That's all that matters.
1: So it's yeah. not in the city.
4: I didn't say that, but you, you dodged. You dodged it a little bit. What do you mean? I just said it's in Lancaster County. Yeah,
5: was you,
4: you wouldn't say it's that's in Lancaster County if it was in the city. What do you mean? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like, hey, John. you Justin, dodged that, they, that. Trump
3: dodged a draft." Oh, we've got,
4: we got an investigative reporter here, in
1: Justin It's gonna Martin. be.
4: It's gonna be a. Uh, it's gonna be a, a little bigger. In the last building and it's in lancaster county it's going to have better sound it's going to have an elevator wow. and a lot of bathrooms and it's going to be nicer and brand new and it won't open until middle to the end of 2021 tell us about Which- the
1: parking situation there will be plenty of parking
4: so would have a secondary room similar to the lizard lounge or it'll have a big room upstairs and a small room downstairs just it it will be the same exact layout as the last building
3: cool how Um, many toilets per bathroom
4: how many toilets Per per bathroom
2: That is an, an exact thing that he needs to know right now. I think in
4: the I think in the men's room there's going to be three urinals and one toilet mm. on just each flo- toilet. on on each floor. There's three floors in the building.
5: And just one toilet per floor per gender.
4: Well, for men,
5: <laughs> the, so women's,
4: men not get the a women's bathroom. <laughs> the, no, the women's bathroom will have four toilets in on each floor. This is riveting. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> I mean like
2: so I'm Yeah, there's try nothing to There's, there's really
4: there's really nothing juicy to say about the Chameleon Club. It's 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 me opening up a venue with my own money under the Chameleon Club name. Uh-huh. And it's that's it. Like it's going to happen. It will be a beautiful venue. It will be great. It'll be a lot of fun. But um, yeah, that's it.
5: What type of structure is the foundation?
4: Um, the foundation is going to be um, limestone. <laughs> okay. So, okay. keeping <laughs> it local, I get classic, it.
1: Classic limestone <laughs> foundation. Classic <laughs> Pennsylvania <laughs> building, keeping it local. <laughs> I get it.
2: So, trying to salvage some of this here. Um, <laughs> you're you're planning on middle to end of next year which is a very realistic expectation for a lot of businesses of when the whole covid thing vaccines will be rolled out people will be able to start doing things a little bit more normally again yeah, um, yeah. so tying into that uh we're all from Pennsylvania um as sure. of the time we're recording this by the time it's released we might already know the answer but everyone in the world or in our world right now seems to think we're headed for another lockdown for an extended period of time because we of, I I agree with you surging cases i work in um a retail facility and let me tell you people were fucking panic buying this weekend i um, saw that this
4: weekend too when i was i was at home depot and everyone was like going insane
2: yeah I mean, it wasn't quite as bad as the days when they announced the first lockdown, but like we at the store that I listen work at-
4: everyone is fucking stupid like it needs to happen, it needs to go into a lockdown, and these bars that are just like opening up and like having fucking like people in their building, they need to shut down and like- and I get it from a standpoint of like trying to make money like. It's been what's it? November. Eight
2: months. Eight months. So Friday the thirteenth was eight months since. So like eight the first eight months. Eight months
4: since I've like made a single dollar off of concerts. Like that shit sucks. Like it's yeah. been my it's been my entire life since I was in my mid twenties to like have a career in the concert industry. And I just see, like, all these, like, shitty fucking bars have, like, acoustic people playing in their, in their indoor rooms. And it's, it's kind of equivalent to me of, like, someone, like, crossing the picket line, like a scab in the union break. Like, it's just, like, you're doing this shit and, like, really spitting on, like, the actual concert professionals yeah. that, like, can't work at all.
2: And I'll say this. I completely understand the bars and restaurants that are fighting to serve food and drinks to people because that's the only way they can make money because. And I've said this before, and I hate saying it being like an old punk rocker. This is where
4: the government should step in and fucking take care of. Well, well, yeah, that's kind of what I said. I had like this like little Twitter thread where it was just like a, a buddy of mine owns a restaurant in new york and he just mentioned about like how people give him shit for like opening up and like serving people and i just i'm sure i'm not the first person that thought this but like instead of like actually like pitting businesses against customers we should all collectively say the government should help these businesses close and do the right thing so it's like yeah it's fucked up. like there's businesses that are just like trying to survive, and I respect that, but at the same time, it's like we should all like actually stand together and say we should collectively close and not let people into these rooms
1: and just, yeah, after that uh Pennsylvania venue talk, I'd be remiss if we didn't pour one out for a boot and saddle, yeah, right over, the graveyard section of our podcast amen will we let covid stop us from celebrating your 40th birthday in december
5: yeah who cares about my 30th
1: well we'll do it all once. all
4: right hold on hold on mc's birthday so the new house that i moved on is it's like an acre of land it's a lot of space your birthday is happening here how many
3: slippers
4: are we inviting well, we'll have as many strippers as you want. <laughs> All right,
2: so 73. That's I want ex- exceptionally I specific.
5: I want, that's I that's totally fine.
4: I'm glad you knew a number. So,
5: <laughs> can I have a backup, make it 74? No. Well, so well, like So I'm 40,
2: Steven's 30. So right there's 70 strippers and there's three for everyone else.
1: Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, hold on, hold on. No, now I'm I'm interested in this. Steven, you first. Detail to me how you would best enjoy 30 strippers at once.
4: Do I get the sub or not? How wouldn't you? Well,
1: no, not like I presume he's not just sitting I have in an a camp chair because... watching them do like a circle dance around your bonfire pit. That's um, what I would do. <laughs> I would if they were just doing a <laughs> yeah, circle dance
5: around the fire. You'd have some good coverage on the line.
2: When you guys are oh, ready, shit. I have a full-on answer to this question. I'm sure you do, MC. <laughs> Steven, get your editing finger ready. <laughs> let the voice of experience talk here. How you, you them the all into your Strippers van. at once. First off, you sign the waiver. <laughs> and they make you sign the waiver so that you don't freak out and hurt anybody. Then you just climb on stage and let them do whatever they want to you, which is... Tie you up to their stripper pole, somehow rip your underwear off without taking your pants off. Use it to, kind of like, uh, what do they call that? Like the reins of a horse. They put it on Gag. you, then they Gag. get you down on all fours the and they ride you around the stage like you're a horse, and they beat you with your own
1: belt. I'd like to interrupt for a moment. <laughs>
2: all the while pouring liquor into your mouth. I want to interrupt. Chance they can. <laughs> I want to interrupt for a moment to remind exactly you. How strippers? On your 30th birthday, all at once.
1: I want to interrupt you for a moment to remind you that the stage is Brandon's acre-wide backyard. <laughs> yeah. And that the pole is a bonfire pit.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a birch tree around them. south. South Hollywood. Wait, Steven, are you not 30 yet? No, yeah, that, dude. That wild. Oh my god. Isn't it weird? Don't you feel like I've been 30 for like 20 years? I do. (laughs) I feel like you're
4: 10 years older than
5: me. Brandon, you're my age. No, that's me. I'm 32. Look at your crow's feet. You're obviously older than me. What? Look at your crow's feet. You're obviously older than me. God. Jeez. Two years. I'm the
2: old guy here, so I'll just accept it.
4: Oh my God.
1: No one's picking on me about my crow's feet. You know why? Because no. I moisturize. You're in great shape and have a fucking mohawk. No one's <laughs> making fun of you.
3: <laughs>
2: also, for the record, I'm in this area where most people go bald, no way. I started growing my show hair back because I got sick of people being like, oh, you're bald. And I was like, no, I'm not.
1: Yeah. This like, audio- oh, you're bald. On this audio medium, show us exactly where you're not balding. <laughs> <It>
5: shows everywhere. <laughs>
1: Oh, I saw you. Was- <laughs> I saw a little little lead skin over here.
5: Yeah,
1: I don't know. I think he's using, I think he's using rog- whatever Punk Rogaine is. Joe yeah. Rogaine. Joe Rogaine. Joe Rogaine. It's,
2: <laughs> uh, oh, see, Justin in Punk, they spell Rogaine with a C, two C's actually. What? They replace the R and the G with C's.
1: Oh. I almost said out loud, cocaine? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wait,
2: cocaine? (laughs) Not too long ago, when a certain band whose uh, name is just three letters played at a local venue in Lancaster, the lead singer was looking for Rogaine all night long. And unfortunately, I could not provide him with that
4: from the merch table. Yeah, you want to know? I that whoever the tour manager of that band was like in the middle of the show, they're just like, Hey, can you like, can you get us weed? And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll find someone that things you weed. It's like, what about, uh, what about, what about Coke? And I was like, I'll, I'll ask around. like, <laughs> Okay, cool. Like, what about heroin? I was like, you know that I'm fucking Ooh. like paying you, right? Like, <laughs> right. So, like, I'm not setting up a heroin drop for you. I, I've never had
2: that happen booking shows at the garage. Oh, it I happens all have, the time. I did have one band specifically ask for like quote unquote pills, preferably downers, and then I watched the guitarist Slash, I guess, partial lead singer of this band play half their set leaning with their face tied up against the AC unit and playing their set like that. And it was just like, Yikes. buddy, maybe you should have waited to take your pills until after you played. We had but this. That, I, we I, have I guess this it's show. not surprising that the one guy in that band is
4: in jail for selling a lethal dose of a drug now,
2: huh? The, we the had animation?
4: this. We had this show where it was a very, a legendary death metal band that played the club. No, Slayer. Doesn't matter. Just a very <laughs> metal band, and the opener of that show was an hour and a half late for load in so basically the doors were at seven they showed Look, up they, don't they, call
2: out old tigers like this i can't help it they showed up they, showed up they showed up at six
4: forty-five, and they're starting to load in and the singer of the band was just like i'm like backstage like it's very rare that i help people load onto the stage but i was like getting yeah, people true. on and the guy was what? like you had to get them moving I was like hey like um, can I ask you a question are you the promoter and I was like yeah well, what's up and he's like do you know that was ha- any heroin was like,
1: Jesus Christ
4: you're an hour and 45 minutes late get the fuck <laughs> off the <laughs> so I want to I wanna stop for a moment and
1: MC you mentioned that you were the old guy and I said you look great the only time you ever show your age is when you use air quotes like a grandpa yeah, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> Like fucking so, Alex Jones. <laughs> 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 Cocaine.
2: You
3: mentioned like how
2: how common that is. That use of that is. What's crazy to me is like, Wait, especially being an older person. Like I grew up in like a like the punk scene and like the hardcore scene, and like me and all my friends partied hard and it wasn't until i was like 35 that i realized a lot of my friends were dabbling in really hard drugs yeah and i was like i never did like i i'll be honest i never even touched coke till i was after 30 um but same i found out that like a lot of my friends were doing heroin here and there while i was just like hanging out drinking having a good time and like i thought we were all just like alcoholics and that was a fucking scary thing to like come to a realization of because no wonder they were fucking nodding out at parties and stuff when I was like, fuck, maybe they're just lightweights. I thought I was like a Superman being able to outdrink everybody and they were just shooting up.
1: When, when you began that story, I knew you were talking about drugs, but it appeared that you maybe were still talking about using air quotes. Like we yes. were, like and we were. That's I was. A, wait a second. <laughs> I was. No, like I
2: it's a part's pretty hard, but even I weird, didn't use. It's a phone. weird thing because, like, I found out that people who, like, I know now who are like, what, are like completely sober, and it's scary because they were, like, yeah, I was, I was using hard drugs, and I'm just like, fuck, man. Like I, I never knew, and maybe I was fucking oblivious. I was oblivious. That's crazy. Brandon,
5: what's, what's the last auditory thing that you enjoyed?
4: What do you mean, like music? Doesn't <laughs> have to be. That's something you heard. Um, this was before COVID, so this was like last year. But um, we went to Home Depot to get some paint for our house, and I think I ended up cutting this like van off. By accident, like it was a total accident, and I pulled out in front of them. (laughs) I I pulled out in front of them, and the dude, like, laid on his horn, and I gave, like, a, a wave, like, a sorry wave. It was not aggressive at all. And that somehow made this guy, like, really pissed off. And we're in the shopping center outside of Lancaster. And when we stopped at the red light, he, like, got out of his van and, like, banged on our windows. And sped off, and Missy got his number off the side of the van because that's the side of the van. And she calls the van, the van's number, and it's, like, just a owner operator kind of business and she's like i'm gonna give you a bad review on yelp and this guy like cried whoa on the phone and said please do not give me a bad review i was just having a bad day
1: so (laughs) we have a we have a punch the punch the van story from boston Um, on a similar like yelp kind
3: of thing (laughs)
1: Like I if you're gonna know. if you're gonna get out of the
4: fucking van and like be macho, how are you gonna do that? Like cry <laughs> yeah. onto the phone. Well, we <laughs> we uh,
1: we played at O'Brien's in in Boston, and Stephen and I were parking my minivan, and Stephen was driving, and we were pulling Wait, around. Was and... that
2: the ticket booth for the
1: uh, Hawthorne Heights mm-hmm. show? No, no, this is in Boston on uh, well, on I was asking, is it the same car? No, the same
3: van? car, oh, yes, Yeah, yeah. 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 same, the ship same car,
1: yes. Yeah, the ship bucket, the bucket. and the egg. Um, but uh, parked the van and someone cut Stephen off and he beeped at them. And he threw his car in park in front of us, <laughs> hopped out of it, and with a big class ring, punched the window, goes, roll the window down.
5: Yeah, roll but it's a Boston accent.
1: Yeah.
5: <laughs> roll the window, <laughs> window down. It.
1: And Steven just looks at him and goes, why would I do that? (laughs) That
2: night that we were cruising the van, that guy that was like trying to get you to get out of the van. You're like, yeah, he was like, get out of here. And you're like, I can't. There's a big van in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) All the while I'm out of the van trying to buy hot dogs from some sorority. After I was
4: driving up and down the fucking road, like, cursing at these people. One of my favorite times at the Chameleon Club was, it was, oh, fuck. I think it was, I think it was Cannibal Corpse. And someone got kicked out. They got thrown out before Cannibal played. And I'm sitting down, I'm sitting down at the exit door, smoking the cigarette, and this person gets dragged out by the security. And... They're just like, you can't kick me out. You can't kick me out. And the security guard was like, Why? It's like, well, I, I know I know the owner. Who's the owner? Oh, I, I don't know, but I know the person that booked the show. Okay, who's that? And it's like, Brandon. Brandon Gepper. I'm just like, oh fuck. I put like my cigarette out and like tried to walk away. <laughs> security, security was like, hey, this guy says he knows you. And I was just like, looked at him and was like, Yeah, I know him. And fuck just walked him. away. <laughs> I was just like, fuck <laughs> that guy. I, I like to envision a
1: scenario in which that's. Used the and you look me in the Idaho eye. I know Brandon, but only when I was coming to
2: like, get tickets or get drop off flyers or something stupid like that. But, be, but on that note, though. But, like, but,
4: but how, how. Okay, anyone that knows me, so you three know
2: I've already, me. Yeah. How would you get.
4: How would you get kicked out of my building and then be like, oh, yeah, he's going to side with me. I would do that. Honestly, Brandon, (laughs) if I was
2: going to be getting kicked out of the chameleon or something, I would give you a heads up and you would know that, Uh, well, MC's going to be getting kicked out and you don't need to rescue him.
4: I would hit you up and be like, hey, sorry you got kicked out. Next show's on me. But it's just like, but that's the thing. It's like, if you know who I am, say that shit as opposed to being like oh i'm outside it's like oh i know this guy i know that guy like i would would go
1: through that whole scenario just for the pleasure of you looking me in the eyes and going i don't know him (laughs) no idea (laughs) never seen this guy before in my life (laughs) beat the shit out of that guy
5: (laughs) that'll do it for this week's episode Next week, we have Nathan Ellis from the Casket Lottery and Abel Baker Fox.
1: Thanks for joining us on Two Beats
3: Off.